when I get out my head. Plug in the mic and leave nothing unsaid. Uh. Now sit back, relax, and listen to some real talk. Now sit back, relax, and listen to some real talk. You are now listening to Unspoken Words Podcast. Hey, Spoken words. Episode 174, encouraging you to take time for yourself and focus on. on your own well-being. Episode Focus on yourself. Who cares? <laughs> ain't no one. <laughs> <laughs> Focus who care what they hey nay no way <laughs> Hey nay no one <laughs> Hey it's unspoken words the triad is back in the building So over here to my left all away from L Jesus number eighty three in the place to be He's the pod guardian he ain't even trying to preach Randy B, say showed up. Mahalo. Mahalo. Oh. <laughs> Mahalo relatives. Oh, all the relations. All the relations. And over here to my right, all the way from Bob Boy 909090. He is your favorite Indian, your ace, ho and one, JCB. Say showed up. Okay. Ah, yes, it's a good day to die, little big man. I hope. I hope. Uh, ho. Hey, you know, across the way from me tonight, special guest in the house for the very first time, Mr. Jackson, who I am for real, <laughs> Mr. Gordon Jackson. Let's give it up for Mr. Gordon Jackson. Uh, hey. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Wow. That, that was very clappable. That was clappable. <laughs> nice. Right on. Hey, and you know me, Mo Hugs, not drugs, all the way from up the road in Arrow Creek. Hey. Uh, hey. All right, the Lulus. <laughs> I appreciate them Lulus. Lulus. Those deadly Lulu stairs. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we got uh, Mr. Jackson in the house, and we're going to get into a little bit of his story in a little bit. But before we do that, uh, your favorite Indian has, what do you got for us? We will try our reservation Mad Libs. How about that? Res yeah, Kid yeah. Mad Lib. Yeah. Res Kid Mad Libs. <clears throat> this one, I mean, I normally I, I try to write, you know, something a little more personal, but I didn't have the time today, so we're just going to do one of those generated ones. Yeah. Uh-huh. But it's cool, though, because I can get in on it because I don't, I've never, I haven't, re- I haven't read it yet. So I don't know oh, okay. what it is, actually. Yeah. Just uh, let me go to the video evidence. It's all good, man. The talk of the day is AI. AI. Okay. Oh, yeah, with that. Uh, yeah. What's the weather? What? <coughs> no, AT&T went down? Yeah, Something like that? Yeah, AT&T. Like a Verizon. bunch of people are without internet and phones. They're talking about uh, conspiracies are yeah. coming out. They said it was only the ugly people that were affected. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding, kidding. My, my phone's always going to work. Barely made that one. <laughs> Barely made the cut on Barely that one. Barely made the cut. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. Anyway. Was it for my charm? <laughs> okay, so I need an animal. Give me yeah. an animal. You're an animal. You're an animal. <laughs> Rawr. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> what kind of animal was that? <laughs> Grr. <laughs> Grr. <laughs> uh, Wolverine. Start, don't start purring now. Is this gay? Wolverine. Wolverine. Feel, I don't know, man. It feels good to be back all three in here. Right now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we got a foursome here tonight. Yeah. Tea time at 7.30. Yes. Tea time. Okay, uh, Randy, I need a noun. Person, place, or thing? Downtown. <laughs> okay. Yug. Yug. Yeah, he's trying to go downtown. <laughs> Mr. Jackson, give me a place. Browning. Browning. Oh, <laughs> oh, oh, oh. <laughs> All right. Oh, way up there. Browning. Okay. Noun, plural, I'm going to say nuts. <laughs> <laughs> I should have said them. <laughs> Roasted. <laughs> them. <laughs> These. They. <laughs> they. <laughs> All right. Um, adjective. Hmm. Uh, uh, that's uh, what? I I, my mind blank. I think it's a describes a yeah, verb. Describes something. Oh, adj- oh, just describes an adjective. An, okay. Oh, sweaty. Sweaty. No. We got our sweaty. <laughs> <laughs> like you know, like a sweat lodge. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what they thought at first. All right, body part. <laughs> <laughs> the hip, <laughs> the loins, the, the loins. <laughs> All right, that's it. The loins, <laughs> sweaty back. Get it. Go. Oh. <laughs> what? <laughs> we'll go with loins. How about all right, that? All right, all right. <laughs> you, you said it. You said it. Loins. That one was a tester right there. <laughs> all right, we need another noun. A noun. Um, Person, place, or thing. Uh, let's do uh, man. Man. Mankind. Man cub. Another noun. I will go with spatula. Spatula. Mm. Mm. You know when you're a grown-up when you have a favorite spatula. I know, huh? <laughs> <laughs> okay, a verb ending in E-D. E-D? Let's see. Um, uh, kicked. 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 Yeah. Wow. I don't hit aunties, but I'll kick them. <laughs> <laughs> I'll run away before I kick you. <laughs> adjective. We need an adjective. Sweet. Sweet. Sweet and sweaty. Sweet and sweaty. Mm-mm. Another noun, Mr. Jackson. <laughs> <Is it> musty? <laughs> Another noun. Um, hospital. Hospital. Uh-huh. Browning Hospital. <laughs> <laughs> I went to treatment there. <laughs> I did. <laughs> really? Yeah. A verb ending in ED. Soaked. He had to soak his beans (laughs) Because he was making chili (laughs) At the Browning Hospital (laughs) And last one uh, An adverb Adverb 
That's something with ING, right? I believe it's like a, a modifier, like yeah, like ING. Uh, uh, man, oh. who 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 passed like a, English class? Like jumped highly. Oh, modifies verb. Yeah, modifies a verb. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. So jumpingly, <laughs> <Just kidding. laughs> jumpingly. The look on your face. Like so ly, something like that. Okay. Uh, let's see, kissingly, kissingly, kissing, kissing. Yeah. Does that work? No, no, no. no. Um, Fortunately, loudly. Quickly. Quickly, very tall. Okay. Uh, man, my mind's a blank. Lovingly. Oh, let's do that. Lovingly? Yeah. Mm. <laughs> Randy B's lovingly voice. <laughs> All right, let's see what it comes up with. All right, let's do this. Okay. Let's go then. It says a gangster story ab lib. Tommy the gangster Wolverine was walking up the street to his downtown in the Browning. (laughs) (laughs) Just as he came inside, he saw that all his gangster nuts had been replaced with sweaty stuff. (laughs) He was was so mad that he kicked his loins and fell into the man. (laughs) And when he got out, he started searching all of the downtown. But after five hours of looking around, he saw a spatula walking around with all his bling. So Tommy stopped the fool and kicked all the items that the spatula had stolen from him. What's your problem, you sweet hospital? (laughs) If you want to be a gangster, buy your own bling and clothes. Don't steal mine. Tommy soaked. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and then he went home and lived lovingly ever after. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That that story just resonates with me. It's all too true. All his gangster nuts. <laughs> <laughs> uh, hey, gotta worry one. about the spatulas out there. I know, man. They be stealing your nuts. They get you. They'll get you. That's how they get you. You guys want to do another one or you good? Uh, it's up to you. I don't know. What you think? Um, Are you on. satisfied with that one? It was all right. It's all right. It's average. It's average. <laughs> okay. The, of course, the ads have to pop up. So let's. Uh, yeah. We'll let go them, right through the ads. Let's uh, let them pay their bills. Oh, this one's kind of a long one. But we can get through it, huh? Try it. Sure. Adjective. Stinky. 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 Verb ending in ed. I'm a, uh, loved. Uh, <laughs> love is in the air tonight. Still on that Valentine. <laughs> Adverb. It is February. Mightily. 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 All right. Verb ending in ed. Uh, smooched. <laughs> he was smooching with everybody. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't have a gimpy leg. Noun. Noun. Oh. Uh, Allie. 
Spell Ellie. Oh. <clears throat> Another verb ending in ED. Hugged. Hugged. <laughs> An <laughs> adjective. An adjective. Uh, rightly? Oh, it's like a um, something that describes a description <laughs> word. Because he said stinky. I'll say sweetly again. Did we all use sweetly? Sweetly? Sweetly. Mm. I could just say sweet. Sweet. Another noun I have to say. Shorts. (laughs) Shorties? Shorts. Verb ending in ing. Uh... Attacking. Uh, attacking. All right, another verb ending in ing. Laughing. Laughing. Another adverb. Hotly. Hotly. An adjective, I'll say. Slimy. Slimy's a good one. Slimy's always a good one. Another <laughs> adjective. Another adjective. Next five are going to be adjectives. Okay. Adjective. adjective. So get your adjectives ready. <laughs> um, damp. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Good. Soggy. Soggy. <laughs> Go ahead. Adjective. Um, colorful. Colorful. And one more adjective. I'll say moist. <laughs> Yuck. Yuck. Noun. We need a noun. Gutter. Verb ending in ed. What would it be? Action word. I know. I did loved. I did hugged. Kicked. Kicked. (laughs) We already do that one. (laughs) The last one. The last story. Oh, um, slapped. Oh, you want slapped? Yep. All right, we'll do slap because we already did. Slapped. <laughs> Just like that. Slapped. Slapped. <laughs> Noun. Bridge. Bridge. An adge- another adjective. Um, sorry. <laughs> sorry. A place. Basement. Basement. Don't go in the basement. Mm-hmm. All right. We need a compass heading. North. North by northwest. A city. Hey, Browning. <laughs> <laughs> A city. 
city of Harden. Harden. Bulldogs. An adverb. Um. Slowly. All right, the next ones are all going to be verbs ending in ed. Okay. Um. No slap it, no kick it. Sliced. Sliced. Hitted. Hitted. <laughs> hit. He hitted him. No, I'm just kidding. He hitted me. Hit? Uh, no. It doesn't end in ed. I don't think it has to. It's still. Yeah, hit. Past tense. One more, or two more. Lifted. Lifted. And I'll say pushed. Push it real good. Last one is a noun. Ante. Ante. Finally. I knew that was going to come up at some point. <laughs> All right. Let's see what it says. All right. Here we go. Bad day ad lib, mad lib. My stinky day started when I loved up late for work. I mightily smooched out the alley. I hugged into sweet traffic. The cars were shorts to shorts. (laughs) 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 People were attacking and laughing at each other to go faster. When I hotly made it to work, my slimy, damp, soggy, colorful boss told me if I was late (laughs) one more time, I was fired. If that wasn't bad enough, the moist gutters slapped. (laughs) After bridge, I headed towards the sorry little basement in the north end of Harden. (laughs) The basement was slowly empty. I sliced on the swings and hit high into the air. I lifted off the swing and pushed up. It was all just the ante. (laughs) That kind of makes sense at the end there. I know. That all came together at the end. I know. It's always her fault. (laughs) So we yeah, run into her. There's your, our version of the Mad Libs. No. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> You're all right. Yeah. Do you usually come up with those by yourself? Sometimes. That yeah. one, I both ones, I didn't. Yeah. No, I know you said that in the beginning, but. but yeah, that, well, that's remember, that's how I started. I started out with those ones, and then yeah, I started writing my own, but I didn't really have the time. Heck yeah. Mm. Oh, that's pretty good, pretty good Yeah, I know it is <clears throat> uh, You guys catch any high school basketball? No No? No You didn't watch that championship game? I'd just no. like to say good morning to everybody that loses to Lodge Grass St. LeBray Braves No, I watched it, man That was a crazy, crazy shot A couple shots Were you there? <laughs> no I was, I was watching, watching it on TV? On, yeah Me too I was like, dang you know what was funny was my me and my uncle were at my house and I had to get him somewhere by eight thirty I think or nine I forget anyway but the game was on and then that's when they fouled that Saint Lambray guy with like one point four seconds left in the fourth quarter and we're like damn they lost and we left in a bad mood bro oh for real you guys missed it dang because they were up by what one or two they were up by one it was tied up when that Morgan Hugs went to the line he drained both. Yeah. And then they threw it full court, and that Toby Stewart caught it and put it up. No, oh, they no, were up they were, by one. Yeah, and then he hit both. Yeah. And then put it up by three, and then they threw it in, and he hit that three to send it into overtime. 
and same same thing same thing at the end of overtime. Yeah, there was, was I was that? that was no way. That was crazy. Yeah, just like it was back and forth a little bit throughout the game, but then that last like last five minutes was just nuts. Yeah, back and forth, both teams making plays. Were they shorts to shorts? Yeah, shorts. They're inside each other. Shorts with their defense. I know it's just a crazy sequence of plays, man. I don't think I've ever seen that in my life. Like two buzzer beaters, yeah, to force overtime and then to win the game. Yeah, and it was championship. Yeah, bro, district championship. That was cool, man. That that was. I'm glad I got to watch that. Yes, right on. So you guys feeling warmed up? Absolutely. You ready to go, Mister Jackson? Yes, sir. All right. So DJ, if you're ready. Why don't you hit me with that beat? Yo, let's get into our topic. Yo, let's get into our topic. All right, all right, all right, all right, all right. This is Mo Hugs Not Drugs, and we're here in episode 174. We got... Mr. Gordon Jackson in the hot seat, and we're going to start off with some questions, and we're going to hear his story. So I'm going to throw it over here to your favorite Indian. Take it away. Hey. Uh, hey. Yeah, I uh, just wanted to let you know that, man, we're glad you're here. It's an honor for you to be here. Thank you for coming in. Thank you. Sharing your experience, strength, and hope with everybody. But, man, I'd say, you know... It's your story. I'll let you tell it. You know, start from the beginning or how, however you want to do it. The, the, the stage is yours. The stage is mine. Oh, wow. <laughs> okay, everybody. Well, my name's uh, Gordon Jackson. We're a recovering uh, alcoholic, uh, codependent. Mm-hmm. I just got all these addictions that I juggle. And it's... Uh, <clears throat> Really, my pleasure and honor to be here. I've been listening to your podcast, and I think you do the uh, Indian community a great service. What you what you guys do here? Oh, 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 you know, and uh, and I, I listen to your 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 guests that you've had, and I can really relate to what what they're putting down. You know, and I, and it's, it's, a lot of it's real similar to my my yeah. my story. You know, uh, uh, if we were to throw it out like an AA speaker meeting, we could. We could do like, what was it like? You know, what happened? Yeah. What's it like today? You know, and that's that's uh, the way it is. Uh, you know, I'm uh, I'm an Ojibwe from Michigan. Mm-hmm. My dad is from the Grand Traverse uh, tribe up in Upper Michigan, and my mom is from Saginaw, which is in the middle of Michigan. Mm. And interestingly enough, I've never been back to my home reservation. Oh wow. You know, I'm not enrolled. I'm sort of like a descendant or affiliated with those two bands. Uh, mm. uh, I've got a boatload of relatives I've never met in Michigan. Wow. Uh, and, I'd, I, you know, I was for, for a while, you know, I was uh, almost angry with my dad for not taking me back and allowing me to make those connections that are so important to really striking out and getting your identity set. Mm-hmm. And so I was, uh, you know, why didn't he do this? You know, he really uh, uh, almost uh, gave me the message that, well, to really survive in this white man world, you have to almost be like a white man. You have to learn that that language, you know, those mm. those that trade, that craft, you know, of fitting in. So that was his really big message to me. So he really, really stressed education and things like that. And 
Um, you know, there wasn't a lot of overt alcoholism in, in my family. I think I had a pretty good family growing up. Uh, uh, you know, I'm a, what I call a Bureau of Indian Affairs brat, a BIA brat, because mm. my dad worked for BIA. Okay. And so I was born on the Flathead Reservation up in St. Ignatius, Holy Cross Hospital up there. Yeah. Uh, my sister was born there in, in Mission, St. Ignatius. Uh, I got an older brother that was uh, born on the Navajo at Fort Defiance. And then I got a, a younger brother who was uh, born in Klamath Falls uh, near the, the, the Klamath Reservation up there in, uh, in Oregon. So we, we pretty much followed my, my dad's career on BIA. So, you know, I grew up on the reservations but was never really part of the reservation. Mm-hmm. You know, I was I was a kid that that lived in government housing. You know, and uh, I had my BIA friends, and uh, you know, I'd, I'd always uh, sort of envied my my friends that were more traditional. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, you know they, they they went to powwows. You know, they could they could dance. Uh, someone could speak their language. You know, my dad didn't speak uh, uh, Chippewa or Ojibwe in in our home. Uh, my older brother. Uh, once, uh, once told me that uh, uh, late at night he woke up and uh, my mother and father were arguing in in Chippewa, you know, Jibwe. Mm. Something came up and they were they were arguing back and forth and it was getting pretty loud and heated and and, and they were using a native tongue, mm. you know. But that's something that my father never never taught me and. And when I look back at it, you know, over the years, you know, you can talk about the impacts of boarding schools, and I think that's what was playing out there. Mm. Uh, you know, both my parents are uh, graduates, if that's what you want to call them, from the Mountain Pleasant Industrial Indian School in Michigan. Mm. You know, that's where they grew up. Uh, that's where they were educated. Uh, and that's really probably where they got their parenting model. Mm. You know, my my mother was, uh, you know, born in Michigan, and 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 her 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 mom um, died two years after she gave birth to my my mother of uh, tuberculosis. Mm. Which back in that day, there was a lot of tuberculosis that, that wiped out people. You know, they they package them up and ship them off to the sanitariums, and they die there. Wow. Uh, so you, you know, I I get into ancestry.com dot com now and look try to put my family tree together. And, and so I do that, and I can I can really see where where the relatives were, where they died, and some of their their kinfolk that uh, uh, the way of the family tree on uncoiled, if you will. Yeah, you know, and it's uh, you, you know, I, I I I like doing that a lot. I've I've done that on mine. You know, I've done that on my uh, on my wife's Marion. She's some uh, she's some Browning. Mm-hmm. I've done that for my son. And he's got an interesting, um, interesting background. And, uh, my son is adopted, so he's um, he's enrolled in um, a Southern Cheyenne Arapaho tribe down in Concho, okay. down in Oklahoma. So he's got a ton of relatives down there. From <laughs> his mother's side and from his father's side, he's Crow. Mm, okay. You know, so if uh, if if the dad would would have claimed parentage, he could have been enrolled in Crow, but uh, he he had enough uh, uh, Southern Cheyenne blood to be enrolled in. Uh, down there, so that's okay. where where he's he's enrolled. Uh, so you know, so those kinds of things when I was growing up that that really sort of, I guess, set my pattern. You know, I I, I learned the lesson from my dad. You know, I, I I tried to tried to fit in when I was growing growing up, and it was always always a challenge to fit in. 
you know, because uh, I got the message from my dad, you know, my dad saying, hey, you got to you gotta play their game. You got to become educated. You got to talk their language. And then all my friends over here are brown. You know, they're brown. They're, they're pretty traditional and they're, they're carrying, you know, that side of the culture with me that when I was growing up was, uh, uh, was foreign to me. Yeah. You know, and, and as I got a little old, I was looking for that connection, and I, I found the connection uh, uh, with my, my native side through alcohol. You know, I, I, I connected uh, through alcohol with, with a lot of my native friends, and, and so we were, we were uh, that was just it. I started drinking about uh, 15 or 16, mm. and I, I think I was probably alcoholic from the very beginning. You know, I was a blackout drinker and, and things like that, you know, and... And it had the usual close, call, close calls that alcoholics do. You know, I had the car wrecks. You know, I had the bad relationships. You know, I had the DUIs and things like that. So it was pretty clear that that I had a problem, but I was in deep denial and just didn't didn't want to face it. Mm-hmm. You know, and I I stumbled along that way, leaving a lot of wreckage in uh, in my wake, the way that uh, alcoholics do, and and it it pretty much. Uh, Evolved so that uh, I was a, I was a functional alcoholic. Mm. You know, I could uh, I guess stagger out in the morning and get dressed and go to work and suit up and show up. Yeah, you know that was that was uh, that was the thing. Mm. So you know, I would uh, I would do that, and I always kind of prided myself on that. You know, I said, oh, yeah. I can drink all night and I'll be there for work on time. You know, my, mm. might not be fit to work, but that's. <laughs> That's my uh, my denial speaking. So that went on for a long time, you know, and I I, I went through, you know, I had a, a series of jobs. I'm a natural resource manager. I, I worked in forestry and uh, fire control when I was, when I was young, you know. I, I went to school at the University of Montana and basically really flunked out of the University of Montana in Missoula because I was, I was partying too much, you know, mm-hmm. the, uh, the schoolwork was secondary to my drinking, and that's, that's, that was the pattern back then. And mm-hmm. and this during during Vietnam, you know, uh, you know, I I ran the risk of uh, getting drafted if I d- gave up my two S student deferment. Mm. You know, and, and then they did the lottery, the lottery back then, and you young guys don't even know about that but <laughs> no, no. but they had this lottery and if you if you t- turned eligible for the draft and you had a high lottery number and you weren't drafted within that year you pretty much wouldn't wouldn't get drafted mm. so the numbers worked out to my my advantage and uh, after after uh, you know I, I missed that commitment that opportunity I I, I quit school at the University of Montana you know mm. it, it, it was just as well you know I wasn't doing anything academically and and the alcohol was getting getting pretty pretty bad by then, and so I moved out to uh, Western Washington with my family. My dad relocated out there, and so Dad was being the forester, force manager out at Quinault, and, uh, Ho, and those reservations up on the Olympic Peninsula. So that's where I went, and that's where I went went to work. Mm. You know, I went to work up on the Olympic Peninsula, you know, doing uh, work for the Forest Service. And, you know, the alcoholism, you know, continued, uh, you know, I got, uh, I got, uh, picked up for DUI and thrown in the Forks jail and, and my, my force service boss, uh, uh, bailed me out. He went down and spoke for me. Oh, wow. So he said, Hey, this, this kid's our, our foreman. 
you know, or tree planting and doing things like that. And so they, they got me out of there and it got me set up in my job so that I had a driver. You know, they they drove me around and I'd do my, my foreman foreman gig there and we'd plant trees and I'd manage the crew and things like that. But uh huh. you know, had to go to the DUI school. Yeah. This was in nineteen seventy two, you know, years ago, decades ago. Yeah. You know, so I I I did the DUI school, you know, and I said, Oh yeah, that's not me though. That's that's not me. This is just a one time rare occurrence. You know, it's it. It was it was like that. You know, and I I continued on my my way. I I finally ended up at the University of Washington, and and I was able to maintain it there. You know, there was a, enough going on, and I think I was starting to mature, uh, sort of take a look at what was going on with my life, thinking that well, look at I'm I'm on a slippery slope, and it's going down, mm-hmm. going downhill. So I was scrambling around there, trying to trying to make something of myself, and I was. I was pretty much, you know, footloose and fancy free. I was single, and uh, you know, in them days, you had good financial aid, especially if you're a native, if you're a minority. You know, you had good good financial aid. That's that's how I got into the University of Washington. Mm. You know, under their educational opportunity program, um, they were almost begging or looking for Indians in hard sciences, and, and I was in forestry and had some forestry credits behind me, and I I transferred into the University of uh, of Washington was a 1.98 grade point average. <laughs> and they usually never, never take people uh, that, that go into that school with that kind of GPA. But I came in on the, the EOP and uh, had all these tutors and people really following my progress. And they were really serious about keeping me in school. Oh, wow. So that really, that really helped, I think. Uh, yeah. You know, by by then I I, I started to, to to like the profession, uh, forced forestry force manager and i started to like uh uh the people that were were around me um started to connect with them you know and 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 that and i i i you know managed to graduate with a degree in the university of uh washington in force management in 1977 right now and i i was lucky you know uh, there was uh, a lot of uh in that day there was a uh, the the construction industry uh, industry crashed so a lot of the building that went on just wasn't there mm. and so there was not a need uh for a lot of foresters when when they were coming out of school and you know a lot of my contemporaries when they graduated from forestry they you know ended up driving coca-cola trucks for quite a while until they could mm. land a forestry job but uh, again you know through the programs that were looking for minorities i had like like two good jobs lined up when i graduated Wow, you know, I could either work at a forestry research center down in Portland, or I could work for the Burlington Northern Timber and Land, now Plum Creek, out of Kalispell, Montana. Mm. So I said, "Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna go back home for a while." So that's that's the job I took. So I I worked up in Kalispell as a forester for a couple of years, mm-hmm. and then uh, because my dad had this forever career in BIA, he had all these friends. Yeah. You know, and uh, for for a long time, my identity was uh, Joe Jackson's boy. My mm. father was Joe Jackson, so you know they everybody uh, admired my father because you know he was a, a stand up kind of guy. You know, and he was he was educated. He had a master's degree in forestry in Michigan, which is pretty rare back in them days. Yeah, but uh, but we did that. 
you know, I got I got through uh, forestry school and uh, started working Kalispell. And then some of my dad's friends in BIA started to started to recruit me. He said, "Why don't you come to work for BIA?" And uh, I said, "Well, I'm working. I'm working private sector. I got this job here. It's a, a lot of hours, but it's it's quite a bit of fun. You get to do different things. And like the area where I was working up at Kalispell, we worked up through Libby and down there. It's a beautiful <laughs> part of Montana. And, uh, yeah." And they wanted me to go work in Browning. <laughs> so I was going, oh, Browning. <laughs> rough, rough duty station. And he said, yeah, but you'll, you'll like it, you know. And if you go into BIA, you'll, you'll progress rapidly, mm. you know. And I said, well, I'll, I'll try it. I'll try it for a while. So I, I went to work for, uh, for BIA as a forester out there in Browning and, mm-hmm. and uh, stayed there for a couple of years. And, you know, our... I came to work at uh, Browning, and you know you hear all the horror stories of the the, the nasty winters that they they have in uh, in Browning. You know the yeah. house high drifts, and the, you know the roads closed, and the power out, and things like that. And so I I was walking to work, and I passed the uh, the town ambulance. It was an all wheel drive ambulance with a Warren Winch on the front. Oh. And I said, Oh, they must be serious up here about this, <laughs> yep. this snow business. And they, they had rotary snow plows and big caterpillars that moved the snow, you know, and things like that. But while I was up there I missed those. I missed those real, real harsh winters and I was only there for a couple of years. Mm. And then I, I tended I moved south down to uh, Crow Agency. So I was I was down at Crow, you know, and uh, you know I was maintaining my my alcoholism. I was suiting up and showing up, and you know, and being a being a good little alcoholic and a BI employee. So you know that was I, I I thought I had it pretty well in hand. I didn't think I had a problem. Yeah, you, you know I could I could make it, and uh, you, you know, and I, I I started to do that, and then I I, I moved up to Billings and. Maybe that was my downfall moving into Sin City Billings. It just, <laughs> just snowballed. And, yeah. And, and the alcoholism really did take off. I mean, we, we did this, uh, you know, after work ritual with all the, all the BI alcoholics. We'd meet down at Tiny's Tavern and, uh, you know, us hardcore would, would close down Tiny's. And, and so it was getting worse. And, and I, I hooked up with this uh, Browning girl who was working in. In in Crow, and so we uh, we met at the the Wagon Wheel Bar and down there in Hardin, and we palled around for a while, and we ended up getting married, mm. you know. And uh, so it was a uh, it was it was kind of a tragic relationship, like a lot of alcoholic relationships are, you know. She, um, I proposed to her in a blackout. Oh wow! You know, I I, I woke up and she was all happy and chirpy and. You know, scooting around the place, and and I said, "Well, why are you so chipper?" And she said, "Oh, we're getting married." <laughs> and I said, "What?" <laughs> she said, "You proposed to me last night. You said you wanted to marry me." I said, "I did." I did. And, and she said, "Well, do you?" And I, and I, you know, this is my codependency flowing, yeah. flowing through. I couldn't say no. I said, well, yeah, hell yes. Let's <laughs> let's get married for a while. <laughs> for a while. <laughs> and, you know, so we, <laughs> we started on one of those, uh, you know, alcoholic dances wow. we call the, we call the, we call marriage. And uh, 
And, and we were at Crow Agency, and she was working in a school system, and I was working for BIA, BIA Forestry. And I, I, I changed career tracks down in uh, down in Crow Agency. The superintendent down there wanted me to fill in as administrative officer, so I, I did that for a while, and and I guess I did a pretty good job. And he said, "You should just stay in administration. You'd go up fast. You know, you get a lot of grade fast." And, yeah. Yeah, I said, well, okay, so I'll, I'll be an administrator for a while, and that's where I ended up, and that's where I ended up graduating. But, you know, Crow Agency, you know, me and my first wife, we were partying and drinking, uh, you know, and doing those kinds of things and, and having the usual blowouts that you have when you, when you have that type of uh, alcoholic relationship. And, uh, and we moved to Billings, and it, it, it got worse. You know, I was uh, uh, not a real faithful husband back in back in them days, and and I think the guilt was really finally, finally trying to get me. And you know, I it was one real bad night I had, and we were out at this house party, and uh, you know, I said some things to her that that really hurt, and then I just took off, took off for a while. Mm. You know, and I came back, and and she said, you know, you really got a problem. We got to do something about this. And, and I said, you know, you know, I I think you're right. You know, I'm really not not proud of what I'm doing now. You mm-hmm. know, outside of work, and and uh, I said, well, maybe I'll maybe I'll go get an evaluation. So I I got an evaluation at Rimrock, and they said, yeah, yeah, you're you're an alcoholic. You know, you've got all the signs and. Our little test there said that I I needed uh, intensive inpatient treatment. Yep. yep. They wanted the twenty me to stay twenty eight days in in Rimrock and and so I so I, I I did that you know and I my employer was really was really helpful you know they said yeah yeah maybe you do have a problem <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. that might be a good idea to go get treatment. <laughs> So they were they were real supportive, you know. We I had good insurance, you know, through the government, and uh, they were willing to give me sort of like a leave of absence to get my act together. And so I went into Rimrock for for twenty eight days and and tried to sober up in there. And and of course, like in uh, uh, treatment centers back then, you know, you did your first five steps and mm-hmm. of the twelve steps program. That was sort of their goal. So we. I, I grind through there and sit through the lectures and, you know, did the the group, the group circles, did a lot of counseling. Um, uh, they said I had a, uh, a a clinical imbalance, chemical imbalance that uh, uh, caused me uh, to have uh, depression. Mm. So they put me on a antipsychotic and, uh, and lithium uh, try to, to try to get a handle on my depression. Mm. And I, I, I would, you know, I had the type of depression. I wasn't bipolar, but I, I sure had mood swings that were, mm-hmm. were really steep and really dark and deep. And that, that that was that was part of the reason I think I went into treatment because mm-hmm. the depression was really getting on top of me, and I I was just not in a good place. I knew that, and and so I, I launched that journey, you know, and it was a. It was pretty good. I I, I think I uh, learned a lot in uh, in in Rimrock. Uh, you know, I, I had a good aftercare group, and you know, I did uh, you know all the meetings. I didn't do ninety minutes in ninety days, but it was pretty close to it. Yeah. And as God has it, you know, I I was like uh, 
three blocks from uh, from the AA meeting mm. in, in Billings. I was uh, three blocks from eighteen eighteen one Broadwater, mm. and so that was my home group. Yeah. So I went there and I I got a sponsor and and uh, you know did all kinds of uh, you know service work within that within that little group and that was that was my home group and so it 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 went well. Uh, um, my wife, you know, she uh, followed me into treatment. Mm. Uh, she had a drinking problem and an eating disorder, so she went through uh, the twenty-eight days at, at Rimrock, and and we ended up in counseling. Mm. You know, we went up to mar- marital counseling together, and we did that for almost a year. Mm. You know, we went there and had it out with the counselor in the middle, trying to keep peace. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, you know it. it it wasn't. Uh, it wasn't a good time. I, it was really uncomfortable going through those counseling meetings. But uh, you, you know, I had enough people telling me, "Say, well, you got to stick to it. You got to stick to it. You go through it." Mm-hmm. And and so I was starting to listen. I guess that was part of my surrender. You know, I I started to listen to these people. So I went through the counseling, and um, uh, it ended up that we were uh, we were toxic together, even though we were both sober and we both had mm-hmm. programs. You know, it just did not work, and and so the conclusion of that counseling was that, that uh, we needed to divorce, mm. and we were fortunate because we didn't have any children, we didn't have any kids. And I think, boy, that was just a just a godsend back then. You know, to have mm-hmm. kids drawn into that would have been disastrous, but but we didn't. So it it was pretty easy for for us, at least for me, to to say, hey, this is up, this is a time to move on, and. And so we did that. And, uh, there's this, this book out there called uh, Rebound. It's when you get out of one relationship and you rebound into another one immediately without really yeah. taking time to heal from that first relationship that you entered. Mm-hmm. And, and that's really what happened to me. You know, I was, I was reading that book and I was like, gee, that's me. I'm doing that. You know, I'm doing that. But it didn't change. <laughs> yeah. I, this is insanity, but I kept doing everything the same way, and so it continued to be insane. And I, I, I got up with another woman uh, before I was divorced, before the divorce papers were final, and we moved to Oklahoma. Wow! You know, I, you know, I met her in the program, and 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 she had a little fetal uh, 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 alcohol child due to her drinking, and she was trying to sober up and. And you know, by then I was tied in with the uh, with the Indian AA here in here in Billings. We were going to the Now Group, mm. and Now Group was uh, was on the south side then. Mm. You know, they had a they had a meeting room down there. So, so me and my wife, we would go there, and we'd we'd go to some of our respective uh, other meetings that that we were going to, and and uh, this this. Uh, Woman that I hooked up with was my uh, my BI secretary's daughter, mm. and and she was asking me. She says, "Do you know any AA meetings that you could take uh, take her to?" And I I said, "Yeah, she can probably go here. She's probably uh, get a sponsor at this this Indian group I go to because there was a good mix. It was a pretty good group had mm-hmm. had some good sobriety in it, and and they're pretty much on track. And so so we did that." You know, I, I took her to, to AA meetings and, and and got probably too close to her, probably did a little 13th stepping there that uh, yeah. crossed the line, you know, and, uh, you know, just being a good addict. And, 
and you know the the divorce uh, was on its way and and I said, well, I'll do a, a geographic cheer and move to Alcohol, Oklahoma, and all my problems will go away. Yeah. So I I, I did that. We, we moved to Oklahoma. I said uh, I talked to this one girl, and uh, uh, tragically, her fetal alcohol child died. Oh. I think he would he lived for like nine months, mm-hmm. and and so she was at, at at loose ends. And I said, put your stuff on my van. They're going to move me uh, using a moving van. Bring your stuff over. Throw it on it. Let's go to Oklahoma. Mm. And that's what we did. Mm. You know, what took her down there. We moved to Oklahoma, and we tried to tried to maintain our sobriety in Oklahoma. We started to go to meetings. Uh, uh, she got a, a counselor there at the uh, at the Osage Agency. That's where I was working. Mm-hmm. You know, I I worked at uh, Osage for uh, seven years down there as their as their superintendent. Mm-hmm. And she, I thought she would do good. She was doing counseling. She was doing. Uh, uh, you, you know, the AA, and I like the AA. We hooked up with some some natives in, in the AA, and I, I thought we were in a good place. And uh, and, it, and she just, I don't know what it was, whether she couldn't get over losing that that baby or the other issues that uh, we alcoholics pack around. She just didn't have, I think, the resolve to really really get through those, even with mm. the, the counselor and the AA. And, and, and we fell into... Uh, a fundamentalist church in Oklahoma, mm. you know, they were just starting. So we got really involved in this church. You know, we spent a lot of time in that, in that church, either as uh, ushers or, or members of the church, you know, and, uh, you know, so she really latched on to that. And, and she said, I don't, I don't need AA anymore. Mm. I'm, I'm going to do it to religion, I'm gonna I'm gonna go to the church and and I'll depend on the ladies of the church to keep me sober and and she'd go to the church all the time. She we didn't have any, we didn't have any kids, so she had a lot of time on her hands and she didn't work. Mm. Uh, so she went over there and she was really a, a church person and we got got involved in that and and I think for myself the experience was good. I learned a lot about religion there about the. the uh, the churches in Oklahoma, you know, we, we went to a lot of church services and we saw a lot of powerful, powerful ministers in there. Mm. You know, we saw T.D. Jakes, you know, we saw Copeland, you, you know, we mm. saw a lot of people that went through like the Rhema Bible College down there in Tulsa. Mm. You know, uh, we even went to a, a church in Tulsa, one of the mega churches down there, you know, and they have like, I don't know, 8,000 people in their church. Thing. You know, a huge, huge church. They got their own school. They got their own book place. They had their own credit union. Dang. You know, so it was a, there was a lot of Mercedes and mink coats in that. <laughs> in that, in that uh, Down in the south even, huh? Oh, yeah. It was, it was uh, and, and again, it was a fundamentalist church. It wasn't Baptist or Catholic, you know, pretty much. But, uh, you know, the... The, the minister, the, the preacher was just really dynamic, mm. you know, and they, they had a lot of good ministries. They had youth ministries. They had uh, music ministries, and and it, it, it was really, really a good church, you know, uh, and, and we, we hung around that, you know, uh, uh, you know, both that one and our little fundamentalist church up in, up in Bartlesville where we were living in Oklahoma. Mm. But... Uh, the second, uh, I, I married, I married that, that girl I took down to Oklahoma. 
mm. after my divorce was settled. You know, I, as soon as the uh, ink was dry on my divorce papers, I was signing another marriage certificate with her. Mm. And so we, we came up back to uh, Montana and got married and uh, went down to, uh, back to Oklahoma. But uh, the disease, the disease for her was just, just too much, and uh, the issues that she was dealing with just didn't seem to uh, be addressed with what she was doing by herself. And, mm. and I can see that now, looking back on it. Yeah, you know, when I was in the middle of it, I couldn't see it. You know, I said, "Hell, you got to go to AA." You know, you got to do this recovery like I do. And uh, you know, I, I I came across with all that kind of. Uh, uh, kind of bullshit that really, really shame her into going to, to back mm. to AA. You know, so that's part of the problem. Mm. You know, and uh, and after a while, she said she was really, really lonely. She she uh, didn't like uh, Oklahoma. Uh, the weather really disagreed with her. She had allergies, and and where we were in North Central Oklahoma, in Osage, it was just really really uh, damp, mm. damp. It was moist because we get all the, the uh, weather from the Gulf, Gulf, oh, Gulf okay. of Mexico coming up. So it was, it was mud and we were in Tornado Alley, you know, lots of tornadoes. You know, but she just didn't, couldn't cut the weather. And, and so I, we wanted to, uh, I kept looking to fix her. You know, what can I do to fix her? You know, because uh, I I knew she was hurting. I could see her sliding, sliding downward, and and uh, she had a niece, a niece in uh, in Montana up here that uh, had gotten pregnant, and was in a nasty relationship up here in Montana with with her mate, and and uh, Myra or the members of the family said, well, let's let's give her a geographic cure, just like Gordon, you know. We'll pack her up. And so we, we said, yeah, she can come down to Oklahoma and get restarted in Oklahoma. Mm. You know, she could go to community college down here and do those kinds of things. And and, and that's what we did. You know, we, we brought her down here, and then she revealed that she was pregnant. Oh, wow. And I said, whoa. So for a while there, we looked around the family trying to find a, a home for her child because she already had one. Already mm. had one young child. Uh, uh, you know, the brothers are about, oh, I don't know, a year and a half apart. Mm. And so she didn't want another child. and uh, So we were going to try to, you know, farm it out. And and nobody were was stepping up to take it. So, uh, you know, and me and my second wife, he said, well, why don't we, why don't we do that? Why don't we adopt this, this mm. young Indian boy? He, he turned out to be a boy. And so I, we did that. You know, and we had conditions on it. You know, we we took him from birth. You know, we took him home from the hospital. Mm-hmm. You know, I I helped birth him. You know, I was in the birthing room just like a dad. You know, and yeah. and you know handling all the blood and the gore. Yeah. <laughs> so it was it was quite an experience for me. So you know, and I was I was pretty old by this time. You know, I I changed my first diaper when I was forty six years old. Oh wow! You know, down in Oklahoma. You know, and. And so that just made my, my second wife just happy. She was just fulfilled, you know. I thought, ah, this is it. We're on track now, you know. So yeah. So she had this this child to look after and raise, and, you know, I 
I had enough resources to to make it make it a little easier, and and I thought this is going to be sweet. This is really going to work out well. And I don't know what happened. You know, the the disease poked its head back up. I think through all the good things, and mm-hmm. and, and and it just bit us in the ass. We didn't even see it coming. You know, and. And and for some reason, and I'm really not sure what the trigger was or what the reason was, she started to drink again on the sly. She'd, you know, drink a uh, wine cooler now and sneak it while I was working, and she had the, the kid. And, mm. and that was, uh, that started to happen, and I started to know, well, she's, she's drinking, and she said she was so, so lonely. So we, uh, I invited one of her uh, friends from Northern Cheyenne down uh, Say, why don't you come down and you can pal around with Myra and raise the kid? And, yeah, you know, do some things together and uh, give give Myra some uh, uh, some different things to look at, other than all the misery that she's she's carrying around that she can't get rid of. Mm. You know, so she came down, but that was that ended a disaster because those two started to drink and mm. drink and drink. <laughs> you know, they were really hardcore alcoholics and. And boy, they they took off and they they ran off. We had one car for one family car, and they took that car and, and left me and the kid alone one night and uh, took off to Montana. You oh know, wow! There was me and me and my son. You know, we were, woke up and where, where's the car? You know, it's gone, and you know the place looks like a like a mess. You know, like like we alcoholics are really good at doing, and so. So she and her friend went on this bender up to up to Montana, back to back to Northern Cheyenne, and and uh, you know she she called me and she called me from Sheridan, Wyoming, mm. and she said, "Oh, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry," and I'm I'm going ballistic on the phone, you know, I'm threatening to kill her, and she's never going to see that baby again, and you know, I'm just I'm just out of it, and. And and so she she stayed in Northern Cheyenne, and uh, I was I was down in down in Oklahoma with the kid, and trying to try to say, well, what am I going to do now? I don't know anything about raising a child. That was supposed to be her job. Yeah, you know, she was the mother. She's the one that wanted to be the mother. You know, and I, I said, well, hell. So we struggled along, me and him, for a while, and I got, I got some babysitters lined up. And uh, again, I talked to my employer, and I said, you know, I'm in a jam, and you know, my my wife is drinking and went back to her home reservation up there in northern Cheyenne and Crow, and I need to get back up there. Yeah. And and, uh, and I said, well, they said you can, uh, they had a temporary assignment there. Uh, just as it worked out, the uh, Crow superintendency was vacant. Mm. So I, I moved up to uh, Crow from Oklahoma, left Osage, and me and the kid, we jumped in a rental car and drove up to to Northern Cheyenne and caught up with her. And uh, uh, the other relatives captured the car. She had the car. <laughs> and so she she got drunk at this, this party, and they, they they took the car away from her and hit it. Mm. You know, because her name was on the title. I, no. mean, I mean, we were married, so. Uh, but we, we finally caught up with her, and she was real remorseful and all that. But... Uh, uh, long story short, that that just didn't didn't work out either, you know. Uh, you know, some people just don't 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 get recovery. Mm. You know, I don't know. Big book kind of hints around about fifty percent of us make it in the long run. And and Myra was uh, uh, my second wife was 
uh, one of the 50% that did not make it. Right. And uh, we went to a couple of treatments with her, uh, being a kid, and and she just never did sober up, and, and she died of a gastric hemorrhage in my BI house in Crow Agency. Mm. You know, basically drank herself to death. And, mm. uh, you know, that was real sad. You know, that was a, a, a big event for myself and, and for my son. Because mm-hmm. he's the one that found her. You know, he found her. She was in our, in our apartment. We had a, a second bedroom, and she was in there. And, and uh, he found her. He said, I can't wake up mom. Mm. So I went in there, and, and she had passed. She mm. had passed. So, you, you know, it was, a, it was a tough time for both me and him. Oh yeah, you know, understandably, understandably. Trying to trying to get the things going on a funeral end, and you know I'm concerned about him, the impacts that has on him, and 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 that I got wrangled a job in Billings, so we moved to Billings because that's what I told my my employer. I said I just I just can't stay at Crow anymore. There's just too many memories here. Yeah, you know I I got to move, and so they they found me a job in Billings. And that's where I ended up in Billings, and I was stayed with BI Billings till till I retired, like in 2014. Mm-hmm. You know, and, uh, and the recovery worked for me. You know, I only had to go through uh, treatment once, but it it really tried to take hold with me. You know, and I I've wondered about that. You know, I wonder about why does it work for me, and it doesn't work for other people. Mm. You know, and it. Uh, uh, the thing I was thinking about, and the revelation that I was thinking about, at least for me, was that, you know, I, I crossed, uh, I think, a, a boundary where where I, I told myself that I'm worthy of recovery. Mm-hmm. I'm worthy of recovery, and I've got some self-esteem here, and uh, and I'm I'm going to do this, this program uh, for myself, even though I got all this rough seas of life, you know, battering at me. And and that's what really I think helped me. And I think the other thing is, you know, addiction's all about connections. And and it really helped me to go through that program, that twelve step program and, and develop a, a, a group of people that were I could count on. Mm. You know, so I, I, I connected to a, a lot of the uh people that were in twelve step programs that were that were healthy. You know, so I, I started to hang out with the healthy ones, the the people that I admired in their recovery, you know, I'd, I'd go to meetings, I'd get to sponsor, I'd read the literature. You know, I had a lot of structure in my program when I first came out. Yeah. You know, I, I, had, a little, I had a little card that uh, had it all laid out on what I would do. And, and so over like, like almost five years, that's the way I was. And, and I went through that and, and, and it started to work out. And it's like, the, you know, you, you listen to people like Bradshaw and things like that, and they, they said, well, you know, this, this addiction, this alcoholism is a family disease and, and all that. And that, that's really true. You know, you, you look at alcoholic families, it's, it's not just the alcoholic that's, that's getting torpedoed, it's the whole family. Mm-hmm. The whole family mm-hmm. gets hurt, and, and, and that's the way it was with me. You know, I, I, I started to, to look around, and then, and then my son... Uh, became a teenager, and, and and he chose the alcoholic drug path. Mm. You know, and that uh, you know, as a parent, you can't be a friend to your child. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, I and I don't know. Maybe it was my guilt for you know my second wife dying, or 
or whatever, thinking that I contributed to that or or what. But, uh, you know, I had all this parental guilt. Mm. You know, I wanted to make him happy. And he was my only child, and I had a lot of resources, so I could I could shower with him with anything that he really wanted. Mm. You know, and I tried to be his friend, and, and you know, I took care of him. And, and some of his friends, is my, my house after a while almost looked like a crash pad. Mm. You know, I I had his friends living with me, uh, you know, and, and and they were starting to, to drink and smoke and mm. do some of the drugs that the, the kids were doing a few years back, you know. And, and I talked to my son. He he tried everything, you know, and, and he started to turn violent. Yeah. You know, he, he, he'd, uh, he'd get in fights. He'd, he'd pick fights. He'd go to these parties, and he, he was proud of himself. He could... He could become a street brawler, so he was proud of that. And I said, you're going to kill somebody or somebody's going to kill you. Yep. That's just the way it is in, in, in alcoholic situations, drug-addicted situations. And, and uh, I, I just, I just, we just couldn't, couldn't connect, you know. I, he was the only one that could really make me rageful. Mm. I'm mm. a pretty mellow guy, you know. <laughs> I pride myself on not getting real angry. And, but he was the only one that could really push my buttons. And, God, we'd... We'd get into fist fight, mm. you know, and I, I, you know, it was just not a good scene. And we were in counseling. I took him to counseling, and the counselors were telling me. I said, "Oh, what do I do with him when he's, when he's on this this rage? You know, what do I do with him? And and he's busting up things, and you know, taking off, and and you know, the the counselors were always telling me, "Call the police, mm. call the police," and I never did. You know, I never did until this one time that, uh, you know, he, he had an episode, rageful, and he broke a bunch of stuff in our in our condo, uh, patio door window, and punched holes in the sheetrock, and, you know, and so he was he was in our truck, and so I, I pulled up, and I got in the truck with him and tried to talk to him, and said, what's going on? And he said, he's just rageful, he didn't have any good answers, and and I said, well, you, 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 can't, you can't live here anymore if that's what you're going to do. And yeah. he said, that's fine. I, 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 I hate you, and I want to leave. And I said, you can leave, but you can't take the truck. And so we got in a fight in the parking lot. I'm trying to take the keys away from him. And, and, uh, mm. and he had a cast on his arm. Oh. He had a cast on his arm, you know, and I was trying to get those keys, and he had this cast, and I was getting all cut up from this cast. And, and, and I called the police, and fortunately, the police came quickly. Mm. You know, usually when you call the police in, in, in Billings, you might have a two-hour wait oh, you wow. know, until the until the police really get there. And so, but this, they came right away, and and the guy said, "Well, he said, do you want to do you want to press charges?" And I, I I finally finally said, "Yeah." And so they tracked him down, picked him up, and threw him in jail. Mm. You know, and charged him for partner, family member assault, PFMA. Yeah. You know, and uh, his higher power was uh, a judge in there that uh, said, you either go to prison or you go to treatment. Mm. So they did inpa- intensive outpatient treatment through Rimrock and, and sent him through that. So he was he was in drug court, and he'd, he'd done that for, oh, gosh, two years. That was like 18 months, right? Yeah, it, it seemed like a long time, and... Uh, and I think it gave him the head knowledge, you know. Uh, I was part of that 
part of that treatment, I did the family thing with them. Mm-hmm. You know, we went to the family week, and I was, went in the meetings with him, and we squared off in the middle of the ring. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, <laughs> and so that was that was uh, you know good, and they really nailed me as a a hovering parent who needed Al-Anon. Mm. You know, and I, I thought I was Mister <laughs> Mister Big. You know, I'd I'd been in the program for gosh. Uh, 28 years, mm-hmm. you know, I have a sobriety date of March 10th, 1988, but I've been in a program forever, and I said, well, I'll show you how to run a 12-step program. I'm I'm an expert at it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But but he did, you know, we did that, and it just didn't, uh, it was good for me. I, I found an Al-Anon group that I could uh, really connect with. It, it had a good percentage of men, because mm. I tried out different meetings, and I, I'd go in there and and I'd be the only guy in the Al-Anon meeting. Mm. And when I finally found this group up in the Heights, and uh, and I just really clicked with that group, and that's what I've been in. I've been in Al-Anon now for, for eight years. Oh, wow. I'm what they call a double winner. <laughs> double winner. <laughs> Attic and codependent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What is it like? I know, like, I've been to a couple of Al-Anon meetings just kind of doing research and just kind of seeing how it was because as we were trying to launch the talking circle, that was code, codependency yeah. talking circle. So I wanted to just go see what an Al-Anon meeting was like. And when I went in there, I just felt so like, like on the spot. Like I thought they like I felt every single one of those people that were talking, were talking about me, <laughs> you know, like when I went in there, did you kind of have that feeling when you first went in there her hearing them talk about, yeah. What their addicted partner or child or spouse did to them, and I was like, "Dang, man, it feels like they're talking about me." Yeah, yeah, I could relate to to everything that they were they were saying, you know, and uh, you know, and and um, I had a pretty pretty healthy Hollandot group, you know. They they liked to stay in a solution and not in a problem, and so mm. so mm. so there were some good, uh, <laughs> I guess you would call it sobriety in that Hollandot group I went to, and. Uh, and uh, you know, I even had a, I even have and still have an Alan on sponsor. Right on. And so we went through the workbook. We worked the twelve steps uh, on the Alan on angle, and that really helped me. You know, it's uh, a lot of Alan on. I think probably the biggest things that Alan on helps with is that you uh, you can go to a place and find out that you're not alone. Right on. You're not alone in that, and everybody, a lot of people have had the same problem you have, mm. and and they can stay, share their experience, strength, and hope. Where you know they were pretty desperate people, they were full of despair. Yeah, you know, and uh, and and through Al-Anon, they 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 made some tough decisions about their loved ones. You know, they've uh, were, were able to do different things. Uh, uh, that really uh, concentrated on their own recovery and their own individual health. Yeah. And and, and just uh, the synergy of that, you know, really in many times helped the, helped the addict or the alcoholic. Yeah. They knew that, well, gee, mom or dad's not going to bail me out anymore. Yeah. You know, I'm going to sit this one out, you know. Uh, you know, and those are some of the, the toughest, uh, toughest things, you know, uh, uh, one of the things that uh, when we were going through COVID, uh, we did our, our, our meeting on Zoom. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I kept noticing, you know, I'd, I'd look at the uh, the Zoom and we had, we had like, I don't know, 15 or 20 people in that, that group that would show up. And, yeah. And, and so I'd, I'd 
I was watching the Zoom thing, and I'd, I'd hit the, uh, the gallery, and so I'd show all the individual pictures of the people that were signed on there. And I was, I was thinking to myself, uh, I'm the only Indian in this group. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> At least the, real, the only really obvious one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I got wondering. <laughs> I said, geez, you know, maybe, maybe this is my old upbringing from my dad coming back around full circle. You know, I'm, I'm comfortable in this group, and they, this, this group likes me. You know, I could really, really fit in, you know. But yeah. uh, and my, and my Al-Anon sponsors were really different. You know, mm. politically and things like that. But you know, you know, we talk programming, and we can get along. And and I'm probably the first Indian that she's ever known. Oh wow! Intimately, you know. So he's he's learned a lot through me, and I've learned a lot from him. Yeah. You know, so it was a we both had similar situations, but you know, it's uh, uh, I think Alan's a, a a tough sell in the Indian communities. Because we're we're communal, we're tribal. Yeah, uh, we leave nobody behind. Mm-hmm. So it's really hard to to make that decision that well, we're gonna let this one hit his bottom, yeah. her bottom. Yeah, uh, without that. without stepping in. Yeah, you know. But that's that's really really a tough one to go. And I, I still struggle with that today. You know, we've uh, we've got things going on in in, in my family that uh, we know we're enabling. Yeah, that uh, you know we should uh, uh, be more proactive in getting these people to stand up on their own legs, uh, quit taking away their dignity of doing things that they should be doing themselves. Yeah, you know, I, I got that message clear in Allen on to people that were in there, and that's what I was doing with. With my son, mm-hmm. you know, and, and so we're a lot better on that. You yeah. know, he's he's uh, stepped up. He's uh, he's a, a, a wonderful. He's got three little kids now. Wow, wonderful, wonderful little kids, and you know, he he struggles. Yeah. He's he's got a good partner, you know, and they uh, they I think they're on a good track. You know, they're they're getting help themselves. So you know, I have a lot of a lot of hope for those people. Right now, for for my son. But uh, how am I doing for time? No, you're good. I think, I mean, we're getting close to the end here, but I just wanted to open it up to uh, the Podgatti and Favorite Indian. You got any feedback or anything that you just wanted to ask Gordon or talk about? I just kind of wanted to ask, like, do you think, like, looking back on your experience with your father and him not teaching you that he knew or understood the language, do you feel like that was like a protective measure? I think it was protective, you know, he, he uh, you know, he was, it was really odd, you know, working on all these reservations and not, not being a part of it. Yeah. You no, know? the reason why I say that is we were part of like a language summit and this gentleman that I talked to, um, his mentor was like 90 something years old and she was a woman. Her reason for not teaching the younger generation previous to him was because of the trauma that she endured. Mm -hmm. And because of that, like, she didn't want to pass that because it, like, what, I guess what was ingrained in her was the punishment for speaking the language. You know, that's why I asked that, but... Yeah, and that that was really probably part of the boarding school experience that my parents went through. (laughs) You you know, in the end... um, uh, my parents would never talk about that. They never talk about their boarding school experience, and 
And in the end, uh, my father started to loosen up more and, and, and talk about his childhood and some of the things that went on at the boarding school. And, uh, but my mother would never talk about it. It was just, she just shut you down. She said, I'm going to talk about that. Mm. You know, mm. So there must have been something that really happened to her traumatic-wise going through yeah. that boarding school experience. And, uh, you know, but I, I, I think that's, uh, that's lasting. That's, that's probably really how they learned to parent. Yeah, uh, they were real permissive with me. Yeah. You know, I I I could do a lot of things that, uh, uh, and, and it was uh, my dad had a permanent job and all that, so we had a little bit of money to to do things with, and uh, and and you know, I think that's what 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 really really happened there. Uh, you, you know, it's uh, I miss that, and I miss uh, the, I can only really blame myself for not really. Uh, engaging earlier than than I have in trying to reestablish my roots back in back in Michigan. Yeah, you know it's because uh, I've got all the relatives back there, and uh, I just yeah. I should have just jumped in and say, hey, you know, my dad was so and so, or my grandpa was so and so, because I I know who those people are. Yeah, uh, yeah, on paper. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's well, never too late. Yep. Yeah. What else? Paper Indian. Paper Indian. <clears throat> I just, you know, listening to all that, I can relate to a lot of that moving around a lot because, you know, my, my dad was an educator, so I did the same thing. And these guys know part of my story is that I don't think I ever went to the same school twice in, in consecutive years for like all the way up to eighth grade. So I can really relate to that, but I just wanted to get your, you know, your thoughts on that, like, like, um, kind of that sense of belonging do you think you know because you, you already said it before like you found your connection with uh drugs and drug or i mean uh, alcohol mm-hmm. with 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 other native people and that was your connection and i just wanted to see if you had any more thoughts about that like um like how it affected you i mean because i always felt like for me it's like i never belonged like i was always mm-hmm. the new kid you know what i mean and so I I had this need to be accepted, kind of in in that way. I just wanted to know if you had any thoughts about that. Yeah, one of one of the things, and uh, you know, I I worked for uh, Saint Vincent Hospital for a while as a health disparities program coordinator, and they they wanted me to talk about implicit bias and work with natives, and and uh, you, you know, one one of the things that. Uh, that came came to my mind when when we were doing that and trying to belong you know is that there's this there's this it, it's a, a power differential of of working with people and it can be anything you know it can be race it can be gender you know it it can be where you're from what you sound like you oh, know yeah. when you're talking about bias there's there's all kinds of things like that <clears throat> And when we talk about this this power differential, uh, you know, what, what I found out on some of those is that even though I'm as brown as the kid next to me, you know, because I've got education and things like that, there's still a power differential there. Oh, yeah. Mm. You know, that power differential could be educational. It could be financial, you know, things like that. And, uh, you know, I was talking to the uh, the nurses and the doctors. I said, you need to be aware of that, you know, when you're working with Indian people. Mm. They don't. They don't trust you in the first place. Mm, yeah, you know because of uh, our history with the way that uh, uh, healthcare has been administered to, to natives. Yeah, 
you know. So, you know, it's, uh, you know, that, that was something that, that, that I thought about that I that, that sort of made the impact on me and and try to be more cognizant of of that that barrier and and almost go out there and get that perspective from that other side of the street that mm. that you're on that hey these people have a different perspective than you do and you need to respect that for sure for sure mm. and like just totally different social norms and protocols that they have to adhere to. That right. is not mainstream, but that we have to kind of balance those two worlds every day. Yeah, yeah. yeah when we we're doing the, when we we're doing COVID, uh, um, you know, at St. V's, they had all these visitor restrictions and things like that, and and that really hurt the Indian people. Oh, for sure, man. You know, because when when Indians are sick, you know, you get that pressure and you get them around them. Mm-hmm. You know, that's part of it, and. And you know, I was answering this one complaint that this this doctor said, "Hey, look, this isn't a funeral parlor." He's talking to these people, all these Indians that were yeah. around this this sick sick person that was really passing. I mean, it was serious stuff. And you know, he tried to kick him out of the hospital. Dang. You know, go someplace else to to grieve or to congregate. You know, because yeah. they'd fill up the waiting area, yep. the halls, and cafeteria. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but you, you know, that's that's just what we are. You know, and and COVID was really really tough on on, on us. You know, uh, both you know spiritually, culturally, uh, physically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Well, I want to thank you for coming in, mm-hmm. um, and you know, just getting your story out like that. That was awesome to sit there and just listen to it. Um, I've heard your story before. That was a different version, right? so I always appreciate listening to people's stories this second and third time because you always get something new or hear a different perspective. Mm-hmm. So uh, thank you for sharing that version. I really enjoyed that one. Um, so just, um, yeah, thank you for coming in. Do you have any questions for us? You're off the hot seat. Oh, I'm off the hot seat. <laughs> um, do you want to, you have any questions for us? Like uh, you said, you've been listening a little bit and. Um, do you have anything for us? No, I, no, I don't. Other than uh, again, congratulations on doing some really good service work here. Uh, um, you know, I, I like the your platform is expanding. You know, mm-hmm. I, I like that you said that it it goes into the prison now. You know, because I I think you have a a variety and a diversity of uh, of people who you interview, and I think uh, you guys are doing a good job on that because you get a lot of different perspectives from where people have come from and where they've been. Yeah, and what they've used to succeed. And that's uh, that's always good to hear. You mm-hmm. know, that's always good to hear, especially from the native side. You always hear about the bad, bad things that natives are doing out there, mm. and you don't True. hear about the the good things, the successes that we do have within our communities. But uh, uh, I just thank you for the opportunity to be here. Uh-huh. Thanks. Uh-huh. 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 You guys have any closing words, Pat Gaddy, favorite Indian? Man, that was that was good. I enjoyed every. I, I couldn't. I couldn't say anything. Couldn't interrupt. Just let you go. It was. It was that good. I mean, I thank <laughs> you for being here. It's an honor, man. You're always welcome back. Next time, you won't be on the hot seat. You'll just be a regular co-host. Oh, <laughs> yeah. And we'll pick a topic. Yeah, we'll pick a topic and oh, go yeah. with it. Topics, yeah. Yeah, for sure. So, how long but, you been on the red road? How long you been in recovery? March tenth, nineteen eighty-eight is my. Um, Okay. Is my re- recovery date? Is my since a- the nineteen hundreds? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm having a birthday coming up if I don't fall off the wagon. Wow. March tenth. <laughs> March tenth. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so March tenth. That's when the 
that's when the White Eagle Talking Circle started. Is it? March 10th, 2016. <laughs> wow. wow. God thing. It's got to be a God thing. I know. And then the address for this building is 310. Yeah. Oh, yeah, huh? Wow. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Me, 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 me. Okay. It's all about the numbers. Yeah, March 10th, 1988. I was five years old. Yeah, no, no. That's crazy. <laughs> AC was like 30. Yeah. I wasn't even born yet. <laughs> 88. Yeah, pushing 30. Yeah. <laughs> I wasn't even born. <laughs> <laughs> nah, but are, are we wrapping up right now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I'd love to give a unspoken word shout out to Linda, our Tiwahe out there in Sisseton, South Dakota. Sisseton. Thank you for listening and keep up all the good work out there in South Dakota and everybody else that's listening to us. We appreciate you. Thank you, Gordon. You're welcome. Thank you for coming and sharing your story, man. That's that's amazing. Yeah, that's right. And if you can please like, subscribe, share, do all that other fun stuff, please follow us on Podbean. That really helps us out. Again, thanks a lot, Gordon, for being here. Thank you. Come on back anytime you want. The tea is flowing. All right. And the door's unlocked. The okay. door's unlocked. All right. So to all our listeners out there under the firmament, we love you. We appreciate you. And to our unspoken words, disciples, keep spreading unspoken words, gospel, Billy Graham style. <laughs> hey. Uh, hey. Be kind to yourself. Ahoga, Sheila. Ahoga, <laughs> <laughs> hey. Okay, hey, little big man. I'm trying to get out my head Plug in the mic and leave nothing unsaid